everyone, welcome to the latest edition of the See Me podcast, looking at our journey of a social movement. So in this series, we're looking at the amazing impact that people across Scotland have been having in tackling mental health stigma and discrimination. Some of our volunteers and our partners in a range of different areas, in workplaces, schools, health and social care, their local communities, um, and individual little projects that they've done as well and we launched our social movement report at a sort of big meeting event thing that we had back in March called It Starts With You uh, where we had a lot of our volunteers and partners come together just to chat to them about the work they've been doing and to look at what we could all do moving forward. At that event we were joined by Gail Porter who also helped us to launch the journey of the social movement the day before at a a media call in Edinburgh and she was amazing in sharing her story uh, to help support us and promote our work both with the media and also with uh, the people at the uh, at the event as well. Um, so we're going to be playing that interview later and chatting a little bit before about some of the things she brought up, particularly interesting points around media and mental health and things like that as well. Um, and today I'm joined as always by Dee. Hello. hello Dee. Hello, hello. And we are also joined by Graham, our assistant director as well. How are you doing, Graham? Uh, morning, I'm doing okay. Just impressed by both of your podcast voices. <laughs> much, better, no, <laughs> much better than my podcast voice. Yeah, I've really nailed this uh, <laughs> pretend Essex accent. Um, no one's guessed yet that I'm actually from the east end of Glasgow. You don't speak like this in the office, put it that way. Oh, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> But thanks. It's the best. The best people on the podcast are always ones that start with compliments. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. You, Messed up there. You've just done. Well, I. Oh well, no. That sounded like a genuine compliment. Are you now telling us that was just sarcasm? And actually, our voices are not good podcast voices. Good podcast voices. I just don't know why you don't produce them on a daily basis. That's all. <laughs> well, it's a lot of effort, isn't it? Is it effort so, for you, D, or is it just you? I used to work in radio, so this is like, this is fun. This is like a fun thing. Good. Okay. We're, we're definitely on opposite ends of the spectrum. This is not fun. But never mind. You know. But having said that, I don't have to edit all of these. So. <laughs> True that. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just the, I'm just the razzmatazz. I'm just the talent next the, the grafter. <laughs> just the talent yep. who drops in as many as possible about how useful she is and now this new one of oh and I used to work in radio oh, yeah, no. and I know I'm definitely the youngest person on this one I'm joking <laughs> brilliant um so useful D um and Graham <laughs> <laughs> yeah we uh yeah chatting so we had uh Gail Porter a TV presenter, mental health activist. She's done lots of great stuff in trying to tackle stigma and discrimination for mental health. And uh, it was great to have her join us back in March at her event and really see the impact as well that her sharing her story could have on, a, on an audience and also within the media stuff that we did before. And I guess it was interesting having her support us with our media work for this because she has obviously been working in the media herself all of her life but has also really found I guess the sort of the difficult 
end of the media in actually experiencing mental health stigma and discrimination directly from the media when she was struggling with her mental health a few years ago. And it kind of got me thinking, especially when chatting to her, about how the media, whilst not perfect, has certainly changed a lot in the last 10 to 15 years in how it approaches mental health and how it talks about mental health. And obviously social media has risen in that time and is a huge place for chatting about mental health and bringing people together. And they like, how, how have you seen that change and how do you, what do you kind of see as the responsibility of media and social media and all that in challenging stigma and discrimination? I think, you know, now that people have realised that mental health is such a big discussion, it's kind of only natural that it's 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 flowed into social media. You know, I think social media gets quite a bad rep um, a lot of the time for being something that perpetuates kind of, you know, negative um, mental health or it can, you know, damage your mental health if you're spending too much time on it. But it's also a really, really great way of finding like-minded people and, and making connections and finding communities of people that are going through similar things to you. Um, I think, you know, the, the conversations around mental health have opened up massively uh, over the last few years. More people are on social media, you know, especially people that are potentially feeling a wee bit isolated or unable to connect to people day-to-day or face-to-face or kind of finding communities of people that they can connect with and share their stories and I think because it is such an accessible medium to so many people that you know it's it's a great tool to be able to see oh actually no I'm not alone and, and I can talk about this um, which I think is is really really important I think in terms of traditional media um, it's something that we've seen as you said over the last 10 years where positive representations of people who um, are struggling with mental health conditions or um, are going through a difficult time or are portrayed a lot more positively now than they maybe were. Um, and those representations are kind of sparking conversations and getting people talking. I mean, we see it all the time, you know, um, you know, cartoons or animations or, you know, people kind of in BBC programmes kind of opening up a lot more about what it's like to, to struggle with their mental health and it kind of gets people going, oh, you know, well, maybe I can talk about that as well. Yeah, I think in the traditional media sense, see, with Gail Porter, she was someone who there were front page stories about her mental health and not in a particularly kind sense. And we do still see that, though I do think there's a lot less of it. Graham, do you think that there's been a... A particularly a particular shift in the media around mental health, or just kind of general public perceptions around it as well. <clears throat> yeah, I think so. Um, certainly, as the oldest member of this podcast, um, <laughs> I can remember. No. Well, mental health wouldn't ever be talked about. You know, certainly when I was growing up, at all, it just wouldn't have featured. Um, and I think now we see it certainly at a universal level. There's a good kind of level, a much better level of mental health literacy out there in the general public, but also that gets represented um, within the media, the general media, pretty well now, I think. Um, so it's on a it's on a positive trajectory, definitely, but there's still a lot to do, really. So whereas I think a lot of the tips and advice around um, being aware of it and, you know, some of the key messages around it's okay to not be okay, etc., etc., that's now permeating into broader society and is fairly regularly featured in the kind of the broad general media. But we need to do a bit more around um, 
more specifics. So, you know, that severe and enduring end of things, that still doesn't feature consistently. Um, and the language around that, I don't think we've quite got that on a consistent level yet either. Um, mental health probably isn't on a par with physical health still. The, I think the media still struggles with how to deal with that. Um, and then also that kind of next step of uh, you understand and are able to maybe talk about mental health, but um, how informed are you to kind of take those next steps? Um, and and again, that's a bit of a hit and a miss, I think, with the gym, within the media in general. But there's definitely been a, you know, it's chalk and cheese compared to what it used to be, definitely. I think so. And I should remember the exact stat off the top of my head. I think it's 79%, but some polling that we did as part of the Journey of the Social Movement report that's out is um, showing that public perceptions, that people believe that public perceptions of mental health have really improved over the last 10 years. I think it was 79% said that public perceptions had improved. Um, oh, but if you want to check out how inevitably wrong I am, um, report.cmescotland.org is where you can out all of my factual inaccuracies. Um, but certainly one of the things you do, Nick, is you will, not regularly, but if you notice a story in a newspaper where um, maybe they've represented uh, mental health issues incorrectly, you're always, you know, you write to the editor and you point out ways that they can improve and that, that's something that goes on behind the scenes that maybe people don't know about. I also think that um, it's about having a, a two-way dialogue in those situations with people if they're discriminating, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, um, to be able to be constructive when you go to them, when you speak to them, and if it is an article in the newspaper that has said something quite discriminatory, to contact them and to offer support in the sense of why you maybe shouldn't have phrased it this way, why you shouldn't have said it, um, what you could say. And, and over the years, Simi's had a big role in that, and lots of people have, and I'd still invite them to contact us if they see discriminatory type things in the media and highlight it to us if they think that it needs to be addressed um because we try and catch as much as we can but we can't see everything um just on that as well i think it's something that we are really good at in terms of getting people to to question that and just kind of especially in social media and conversations online so remember back in july we did a mail out on kind of representations of mental health and pop culture and whether people had watched or read or listened to anything that they think had either been a really really good positive depiction of mental health in a, in the media or things that had been quite negative and we kind of compiled people's um, suggestions into a mail out which was really really interesting because people's opinions differed so much on different programs in relation to different things and I think that was really good just to get people thinking about it to be like oh you know it why is that stigmatizing can we have a conversation about it why why can I not say that why can we not say this and and those conversations just kind of kind of galvanizing people to to start thinking about that a little bit more and just being a little bit more mindful about what they're consuming and what they're and what people are putting out as well. Yeah, that was a really interesting addition to see people always interesting to hear what people think and send in stuff in and I guess something that was really interesting just before Gail came and spoke at our event and supported us, her documentary on her mental health had just come out. Um, and I think it's probably, hopefully it's still on BBC iPlayer now, definitely worth checking out. And also touched on what you were saying, Graham, about 
severe mental illness being something that's spoken about a bit less and the stigma around that not really been tackled to to quite the same extent because um, there's parts in the documentary where Gail is, is speaking to uh, a psychiatrist and uh, she's been to psychologists as well as friends and family like that. but there's a point where she's talking about all the different diagnoses that she's had and they're looking at what diagnosis she's had and various ones from bipolar disorder borderline personality disorder things like that um depression anxiety or and it really is an interesting look at the different perceptions of different mental health conditions as well um and i guess that impact of seeing her talk about that and share her story is what what was so powerful in the media with us in her documentary and speaking and do what impact do you see when you're sharing people's stories? You know, always ninety nine point nine percent of the time it's positive and people relating and saying, you know, that's inspired me to to talk to somebody or you know I've been through something similar or I can relate to that. Um, and I think you know the more that we do that and the more that we share these, whether you know whether someone's had a difficult experience or a positive one, um, they're both they're both important and I think that was what was so powerful about Gail's documentary in particular and just her as you know as an advocate for mental health is that she's so genuinely herself when she's sharing her lived experience and she doesn't shy away from being like actually this was rubbish and it's okay not to be okay and I went through the mill and you know blah 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 um, and I think that's that's empowering for people to be like oh I don't just have to be like oh I've come through you know the positive side of it I went through the dark stuff as well I struggled and it's okay to share that that part of my life and um, and I think that really kind of galvanizes people to, to start talking more and, and, and being like oh you know well, I've gone through something similar um, yeah it's really important she was very candid in in the way she spoke about her mental health in a really positive way uh, and not really holding anything back in that sense of she, in, that she was comfortable in speaking about but she also used quite a lot of like she was really funny as well and yeah. she is really funny and and if you watch documentary as well like she uses humor uh, as a way of kind of speaking about what can be really really difficult things and I think that's an interesting one as well which we are that's a personally always it's a difficult one because struggling with your mental health is not fun and it's a really serious important thing and people are being stigmatized they're being discriminated against they're not getting the help and support that they need across the country and it's not like a thing that you feel and it's not appropriate to then try like be funny around that topic but also bringing humor in in a certain way can really help people relate especially when it's someone speaking about their own experiences and like like Graham do you think that there is different like that humor can be can be a tool to actually resonate with people and perhaps get people to listen who may otherwise not I'm someone who tries to use humor not very well <laughs> but you do you do try a lot of, there's try a lot of dad humor goes on which just doesn't you know doesn't work but i think did you i think when did you have that before you were a dad just before you or has it always been there yeah it's, it's maybe always been there you know yeah, right, right. we might be getting slightly off topic though i don't know maybe yeah um ah. but certainly one of the, one of the things um watching gail you know just the way she talks she does she mixes the the kind of extremes and the seriousness of the situation she's been through, um, 
but she kind of houses it in in a lovely. There's a, she's in a really relatable way, and one of the things she uses is humor, um, and and what it does is it makes her relatable, and also makes her stories relatable. And humor is great when it's used effectively like that because it acts as a bridge into someone else's experience. Um, and also it often enables you to put yourself into their situation because it acknowledges a serious situation in, in a way that you're able to kind of stand back from it. Um, and if you're able to laugh at, at a serious situation, um, it can also be a, a sign that you're on your way to you know, accepting it or, um, or at least putting it into your life and in, in a way that you can start to understand it a bit more. Can I can I uh, give you some interesting facts around humour? Yes. Can definitely. I fact bomb? There's this nothing podcast? funner than <laughs> yeah. facts about fun. <laughs> so <laughs> laughter itself is innate, um, and after crying, laughter is the first social vocalization to develop in humans. So it develops at four months. So um, we've got specialised brain circuits for humour and laughter. So actually. Within our very physiology, it's a really good tool to communicate if used effectively. Um, so we are hardwired to link into humour. Um, and that's one of the reasons it's such a good way to, to, um, to communicate. Um, and certainly getting back to, to Gail, um, she uses it really well. Um, and so she interspersed it throughout the seriousness of her story. And it enabled us to keep looking at her story, even when it got quite difficult to listen to. Um, and it, so it's, yeah. it's really effective in that sense. It is, um, and I mean, uh, maybe Graham's fact corner is going to have to become a regular feature in all our podcast episodes. You certainly you've stepped up the bar there on our podcast guests. Happy to do that. That was great. happy to do um, that. Organized fun, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. And what you said about the way that she interspersed humour, I think, is totally spot on. And it was really interesting as well the way. She spoke about her. She spoke about her alopecia as well, and, and the impact that that had on her life and her mental health. And again, something that she she used humour when describing that quite well. And hopefully, we've got a video of her talk, so we'll look to try and get that up um, at some point. And uh, if we can get it up in time, we'll link it in uh, on the on the description of this podcast and the show notes on there, so you can see that. If not, we'll put it on our website. Um, but yeah, so when she was speaking around that and the real link between her, her physical and mental health, I thought was really interesting. And in general, I'm not sure that physical and mental health are talked about together as much as they should be and as much as they're actually talked about when people are saying we need to think about our physical and mental health. I'm still not sure if people, if in general there's is such an understanding that they are both really linked and if one is struggling it's going to impact the other if your mental health is struggling it's going to impact your physical health if your physical health is struggling it's going to really impact your mental health as well and the discussions aren't always had simultaneously and together I think it's getting a lot lot better um but I guess with something like alopecia and girl speaks about it, it's, it's a visual thing so it's something then people immediately do consider and they think about um do you think d that physical and mental health are particularly linked in general conversations or do you still think that we talk about them as two different things? I think we talk about them as two different things more often because I think it's easier 
to, I guess, treat something that you can see or provide a solution to something that you can visibly see. So, you know, you might see somebody who is struggling um, with their, their, you know, their physical well-being, i.e. they've got alopecia or they have a stoma or they're, you know, they've, they've got something that you can visually be like, OK, well, that's something that we can see and treat or they've broken their leg and here's the solution to that. Whereas mental health, I think it's a lot more holistic and that there's lots of different elements to it. Um, it interplays, you know, with with your physical health as well. And I know, for example, um, my, you know, just as, as an anecdote, my, my cousin um, is quite young. And she has Crohn's, uh, quite severe Crohn's, and she's only 26 and she has to wear a stoma. And she's kind of, you know, spoken about quite openly the fact that, you know, that that physical impairment on her life affects her mentally because, it, you know, it impacts on her anxiety and it makes it difficult to socialise. And so that physical aspect has an impact on her mental health and then her mental health then has a, an impact on, you know, how she how she kind of lives her life and then that affects her physical health so you know it's a very um it's an intertwined thing but when she maybe goes to the doctor or the hospital the mental health is not the thing that they prioritize at the time because it's a condition that they have to treat so I think a lot of the time mental health can be seen as a secondary um as a secondary thing to look at when in fact you know as you said if you're struggling with your mental health it can impact you physically as well so it's a it's not given the same parity I think um and I I think a lot of people don't realize that physical health conditions can negatively impact your life they stop you being as mobile or uh, as confident and that then impacts your your mental health as well so I think it yeah it's getting better mainly because there's lots of good work out there that's kind of promoting the idea that there needs to be a, a a parity between physical and mental health and one impacts the other but I think you know there's a way to go yet definitely yeah I would say so and you're right about sort of the, the if there's something that's identifiable in a physical nature and it also means I think that people ask you how you are as well if they can see something um with any sort of physical illness or injury or things like that people quite often will ask not all the time um and some people and again even with lots of physical conditions people will avoid having a conversation because they might find it awkward similar to how that is with mental health research that we did for time to talk they found that that people will avoid having a conversation with friends or family because it because it makes them feel awkward and people could miss out on help and support by that and it's, it's the same for lots of physical health conditions as well but often having that visual thing means that people will ask and ask how someone's doing and that's not always there for mental health and can mean that if, if people aren't asking you how you are, and that comes back to what we often say, loads of our messaging around, it's okay to ask for help, and, it's, and if you see someone struggling, ask them. But if you can't see that someone's struggling, people won't always ask how you're doing, or they won't think to, even if they think that you might not be great, if there's nothing visible there, they'll be like, oh, I won't ask, it, it might be too difficult. Which then, if you are struggling, can also lead to, if it's really then difficult to reach out and find someone who you can speak to if no one's speaking to you, if all the people you expect to ask you how you're doing don't ask you how you're doing, then you think, well, who do I ask? Who do I speak to? Who do I say about this? I think and interestingly as well, that's something that came across a lot in Gail's documentary in the beginning, you know, where she was kind of saying because she looked happy and bubbly and she was, you know, this young kind of attractive presenter and she was kind of putting across this kind of very physically appealing kind of, 
you know, happy-go-lucky kind of persona that people just assumed everything was okay and fine when actually beneath the surface she was struggling a lot. Um, but because you couldn't physically see anything wrong, you know, nobody would have known. Totally. Like, Graham, do you think, similar, do you think it can be difficult to for people to identify someone to be able to speak to when they're struggling? <clears throat> um, absolutely, it can. But also with the, the, the documentary um, that we're talking about, one of the things that affected um, Gail is the, the self-stigma as well. So she... She didn't want to, um, at various parts through her journey, she didn't want to talk to anybody because she didn't want to burden them. So um, often it starts at that level where um, people just, they, for for good, often good reasons, they don't want to reach out and, and ask. But yeah, so but when you get to that point where you, you are wanting to um, reach out and ask, that can also be a bit of a minefield. So um one of the messages we keep coming up I think in this podcast is things are improving but when it comes to um, finding um, the best forms of help that just seems to be um, so inconsistent across Scotland at the moment Um, so there's really good examples out there of maybe young people reaching out and then either through their schools or the GPs having a really good experience and being signposted on um, and being taken seriously and then you know in equal number you hear the exact opposite of people looking for someone to listen to them to understand their problems uh, the, the problem that they're you know they're trying to articulate in to then enable them to be signposted on to um, an appropriate service or appropriate support um, and it just not happening um, and so there's a real inconsistency out there at the moment um, lots of good things coming in place, but it's just about us carrying on, giving that message of it needs to improve, it needs to improve. Um, and for me, this is an area where there is, there's just a lack of consistency across the piece. Yeah, definitely. And, and one thing that the girl spoke to us at our event about as well, similarly, was that kind of difficulty in getting consistency with help for herself as well um so we've got the interview with gail coming up now uh this is gail chatting just before uh our event and when she spoke at that we did record this interview in a few different places in uh, dynamic earth in edinburgh when uh large groups of children kept appearing next to us so if the sound changes a little bit throughout that's why Gail, so yeah so why do you think tackling stigma discrimination around mental health is important um, I think that there's too many people that don't talk to each other and keep things to themselves and think that um, if they have got a mental illness, people are going to think badly of them, and they shouldn't do, you know. I think most most of us have got something a little bit wired incorrectly in our brains, and the more we talk about it, the more we can help each other and realise, you know, we're not on our own, and we're just as, you know, capable of doing things as everybody else is. We're just, you know, maybe a bit... <laughs> we may be just we're just wired a little bit differently and I think the more that people realise that there's absolutely nothing wrong with being you know, having having issues whether it's you're sad, you're depressed you're you're worried about the way they, they look you, you're worried about the way the people you know, perceive you you don't need to because there's always going to be someone there that's going to be just the same as you You mentioned there about sort of difficulty in speaking up before did you find it hard to first tell someone what you were experiencing or what you were feeling? 
I think when I first... I knew I was, I was going through lots of stuff. I was self-harming, I was overeating, I was under-eating. I was doing everything to extremes. And I didn't... No one really talked about mental health issues. They talked about anorexia, they talked about self-harm, but it was not like, really acceptable. And so people weren't talking to me about, oh, you've got really skinny, or why have you got razor marks all over your arms? And it was all kind of just like, hush, hush, wear a jumper and more jumpers when you get really thin. So um, I didn't really talk to anyone because I didn't know who to talk to. And um, when I was happy, I was beyond happy. It was like insanity. It was just, my highs and lows were so drastic. You know, one minute you'd be top of the pops. This is amazing, yeah, it's Gilport, top of the box. Next minute, I'm at home going, I just want to die. I cannot cope with this. And then I get up the next morning going, it's the big breakfast, woo! And then go back home again and cry and then go out again. So it was very difficult for me to... Also, I didn't want to burden people. And I think that's one of the reasons I want to get involved with See Me is because I want people to know that you're not burdening anyone. All my friends were saying, why did you not call me? Why did you not speak to me? Because I thought I was a burden and I didn't want them to think, you know, she's got everything, everything's great. And, um, yeah, I just wish that I'd had that confidence to go, there's someone out there that will actually just hold my hand or give me a hug or be there or just listen to me, which is what I do now is just listen, hug a lot of people I do. Don't know if that's the best thing to be doing at the moment, but you know what? I don't care. <laughs> and, I mean, obviously, you were, you felt like you'd be a burden. So, how important do you think it is for other people if they see a friend, family, colleague, even is maybe changing, is acting a bit differently, or you're a bit worried about them? How important is it for others to reach out and start that conversation so the person who's struggling doesn't feel like it's all on them? Yeah, I think that's really important, but this, it's, it's a weird one because. You don't want to push people to talk when they don't want to talk. But if you've noticed something's wrong, don't just say, you know, are you okay? Are you all right? Like we all do. And then they say, fine, which we all do. <laughs> There's just like certain things you do. You all right? Yeah. You okay? Fine. No, I'm not. Um, maybe ask again. Maybe ask twice. Not in a pushy way. Maybe just say, do you fancy go for a coffee? Not saying, I think there's something wrong. I've got a feeling. Just, I think, keep it kind of matey and just go, you know, I fancy a cup of tea. Do you want to go and get a scone or a biscuit or go for a pint or whatever? And then, do you know what, that's when people start to open up because you're sitting on your own with your friend in not a kind of, not in a work situation, not in a situation when you're in a hurry or you're in the shops or something. You're actually giving each other a bit of time and then, you, you know, you tend to open up a bit more when you're, yeah, in that kind of situation, I think, anyway. That's just me. I'm not a professional. I just talk a lot. <laughs> and do you think like there's the that element of talking and people reaching out to each other is so important? Obviously, we've done like we did some a survey around this, which found that 56% of people still experience discrimination, so are still treated unfairly. And I can't. What do you think? That do you think that people are still? I mean, people are still treated unfairly. What do you think we need to do to change that, to make things better? Or why do you think it's happening as well? You know, it's just one of those things. Um, I look different. I don't have any hair. I get treated differently. I know that. Unfortunately, you can't tell people how to treat you. You can just bring awareness and say, do you know what, I'm not any different to anybody else. I look different. My brain's a little bit different. But it's all down to the individual. I mean, all we can keep doing is keep talking, keep talking, keep acknowledging the fact that, you know what, 
you know, I found out teachers that I, you know, that taught me at school had really bad issues with certain things, but you only find out that, you know, after we've left school and they've left the jobs and they get through things, you know, because they kept it all to themselves. So we need to just keep talking and thinking, hang on a minute, you know, I did really well in that subject and, and this person was not feeling 100% perfect, but yet managed to get me through my O-levels, A-levels. For young people out there, it's like exam stuff that old people did. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, it's all about talking and it's all about saying, do you know what, if you, if you go for a job or if you've got the right skills for the job, it doesn't matter about your mental health, it doesn't matter about what you look like. If you can do your job, then you just have to make sure that you know, you know I wouldn't get a job as a, I don't know, probably loads of things actually I'm trying to think of things I'm good at and there's nothing um, but yeah no it's just, it's just awareness it's just being aware and not being ashamed to talk and, and just knowing that you know you should never discriminate about anyone anything oh I don't know what I'm talking about now definitely, right, so. definitely do definitely do and then the last question then is so you have spoken out to a whole country in a sense by doing the documentary that you did <laughs> Um, and really revealing what it's like for you and your mental health and your journey and what you've been on. Have you found, now you've spoken about it, a different reaction from people? Has that made any difference? Because that is being open just on a massive scale. To be honest with you, when the idea first came about, about doing this documentary, I was in, I was going to say two minds, but (laughs) I've got all sorts of minds going on. But um, I was not sure. And then when I started filming it, it it was very, very hard because I thought... I don't know how people are going to take to me. Like you say about discrimination, I can't help what people think. But um, I just think, oh my gosh, is this a bit too much? And I thought, you know what, I've dealt with the hair thing and people came and said to me, thank you for not wearing a wig and talking about it. I don't wear a wig because I can't really be bothered, to be honest with you, and I'm quite, I've got quite a nice shaped head. So I'm quite happy. It saves me loads of time. But um, it's just my choice. Um, but people will come up and say, you know, they might be wearing a wig, they might be wearing a hat, and they say thank you just for saying it's all right to not be all right and that's what I thought when this documentary I didn't think many people watch it and um, on the day it was shown I was going to watch it um, with my friend and we decided not to watch it we decided to open a bottle of wine instead (laughs) and then it got to I think it was on at 10 o'clock or something and then it got to 11 o'clock and then suddenly my phone just did not stop it was bing 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 and I was like wow so it was friends and it was strangers on on the internet people on twitter I was like my god there's quite a few people have watched this uh, it's still, to this day, I'm getting... E- I can't reply to all of them. I really genuinely... Can. I would do, but I don't have enough time. And I've got lovely messages, and, yeah. And I think social media, that's a good thing that social media does. I know there's a lot of bullying, and there's a lot of um, people that are, are mean, but there's also an awful lot of nice people that I got messages saying, thank you. I thought I was the only one. Thank you. Uh, yeah, unbelievable. And... Um, I think my favourite one I ever got was how could you give me advice on how to get my hair back? Like, seriously? If I knew that, do you think I'd be bald? <laughs> so yeah, I can't give you that kind of advice, but I can just say I'm, I'm, I'm listening, I'm there. If you see me in the street, give me a hug if you want to, you don't have to. <laughs> but just talk to each other and be kind and just, you know, all the simple things in life. It's not, it's not difficult. And it's just don't discriminate against anybody. We're all different. We've all got issues I still have sad days and then I have manic happy days and then you know but I talk to people now I'll pick up the phone and say I'm struggling today so that's what we need to do it's not embarrassing to say I'm struggling 
it shows strength of character. Okay, so that was Gail, and thank you so much to Gail for uh, doing that interview with us and also the support in promoting our journey of a social movement report. If you want to find out more of that, it's full of amazing stories of impact that people have had um, really driven on by their personal experience and their care to make things better for people struggling with their mental health. So check out report.seemescotland.org and you can find the journey of the social movement there. Um, And yeah, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, please do. We'll have lots more episodes coming up um, around some of these stories. So Dee, thanks as always for joining. You are welcome. Thanks. And Graham, thank you for bringing uh, some facts. Anytime. Some facts and dad's humour. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, better than me just speculating as facts that I think I can kind of remember. Um, So, cool. Thank you very much, everyone. And uh, yeah, we'll speak to you again soon. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.